through all the circumstances of life and through all the stages of life and through all the ups and all the downs, wherever we're at this morning. Yeah, I do pray, God, that as we share the scripture that I'm about to share, we might be reminded of your goodness to us and uh, that you're with each one of us, whatever brings us here, wherever we're at, whatever we're feeling, whatever we're sensing, whatever's been happening. You're good to us and you're with us and your promises stand true uh, all the time. So thank you, God, for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Excellent. Thank you to um, Ben and the team and Lloyd and Liam up the back. Uh, great job. It's been beautiful the way you guys have led us in worship this morning. Um, also, it's great to honour people who are serving in different ways and going above and beyond. Um, so I think this morning, I'm just trying to spot them. Um, uh, there they are, Lauren and Nathan. I got here at nine o'clock. It was one degree and they had the coffee ready just to serve and bless people by giving them a coffee. So can we thank those guys? It's, uh, it's just amazing, really, on a day like today. It was great. Um, let me get to my message here. Um, uh, it's good to be back. Uh, last Sunday morning I was at Mount Barker Baptist Church and I went and shared there just a little bit of our story, just part of this whole merger discernment process um, and that was good to be amongst them. They were in good, uh, good spirits there but uh, I must say it's, it's a blessing to kind of come back and see what we're blessed with just particularly in terms of uh, the diversity of ages and children running around. I mean we, what we take for granted here is not happening in every other church just to have many children and, and be seeing children being discipled and encouraged and teenagers and what's happening on Friday night. So uh, it's great to be back and um, to be around. Um, and uh, I might also say as, we, as we're preaching through Romans, many of you uh, would have known I shared at the church meeting, this has been for me a particularly busy and challenging season in terms of merger discernment process and not having a, a youth young adult pastor and um, also um, uh, in doing a um, pastoral search process in that area. So it's been pretty full on but I've been really sensing uh, that my, my faith has been really strong through this season and I've been reflecting on why that is um, and I actually feel that uh, preaching through Romans itself has just been such a great encouragement to me personally. Um, so in the midst of busyness and lots on my mind and big decisions for us as a church, preaching this week in, week out has just encouraged my faith. And I really hope that it has been doing that for you as well. Um, this morning is uh, part two, the second part uh, studying what is considered by many to be the greatest chapter in the greatest letter in the greatest book ever written, Romans chapter 8. And last week, I mean, last week I got to preach, or two weeks ago it was, Romans 8 verse 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I mean, what amazing 
words to get to preach. But this morning, uh, we move on to the next passage, and I would say that our first verse of this passage is just as great. The first verse of this passage says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. I consider that our present sufferings will not be, uh, will not be, are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So I want to read this uh, scripture. I just felt, felt like it was worth us doing something a little different. I'm going to ask you to stand up and uh, I'm not going to get us to read the whole passage together, but I would like us to read verse 1 together, okay? So, and then you can sit down. So here we go. Verse 1, chapter Romans 8, uh, verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And I'll just read the next. You can stay standing actually, but I'll read it. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We flick over. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Please take a seat. This message is um, called Present Sufferings and Future Glory. Present Sufferings and Future Glory. And in just 10 verses of Scripture, we see over and over again references to the difficulty of life. Uh, if, you've, if you've got the Bible, uh, please keep it open through this, if we can have on the screen the first little bit, um, but it's best if you've got a scripture open before you. Uh, let's have a look at this. Romans uh, 8 verse 18, we see the word suffering. In verse 20, frustration. Verse 21, decay. Verse 22, groaning. Verse 22 again, pains. Verse 26, weakness. We start our message considering the reality of present sufferings, the frailty of human life and the inevitably, inevitability of problems and pain and decay. And on a cold winter's morning as you got up, some of you probably felt that this morning. Am I right? <laughs> some of you are shaking your head. Joshua was like, I don't feel that at all. It's because you're 10 years old or 12 years old or however old you are, Josh. Uh, but, you know, we wake up and we feel like, you know, the old body can't 
do what the young body once did. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Who here knows what I'm talking about? All right, just about everyone. In all seriousness, how many of us here, you don't have to raise your hands for this, a rhetorical question, how many of us here are currently battling some kind of health issue, either major or minor? How many of us here deal with some ongoing annoyance in regards to our physical body, or how many of us here are actually dealing with a significant health struggle? Many. How many of us here are supporting someone, watching as someone we love struggles with a health battle? How many of us here have dealt with the, the grief of seeing someone we love battle through a season of suffering? How many of us here have journeyed with a loved one who has gone through uh, a time when they have been dying? How many of us here have experienced not just physical illness, but mental illness in your life or in the life of someone you love? We know that's such a major issue in Australia today. Not just a physical issue, but a mental health battle and crisis as well. And if the answer to any of those questions has been yes, and I doubt that there is anyone in the room who has not been able to answer yes to one of those questions. If the answer to one of those questions is yes, then I'm sure that you identify with these words in Romans Eight, words like suffering, frustration, decay, groaning, pain and weakness. And we in Australia benefit from an incredible health system. We know that and whatever we do suffer, there's no doubt that for many of us, life would actually be far worse if we didn't have the system that we have. In fact, it would be interesting to ask... Who would not be here but for the medical system we have in Australia? Uh, who would have, how many of us would have not even survived birth or early childhood? I'm just going to, I'm going to throw that question out there. Who knows from your own story and, and the battle that you've been through that if you were born in a developing nation, you probably would not be sitting here right now alive. Not me, actually. But, uh, yeah, lots of people. It's interesting, isn't it? We thank God for the system that we have. Yet no matter how remarkable is our modern medicine in treating and extending life, suffering and de decay remains inevitable. And this passage is about all about our present suffering, which isn't really a cheery topic, is it? You're like, seriously, I came here to be encouraged, not discouraged. The good news is this passage is not only about present suffering. In fact, there's a better story and a bigger story that this passage points to, which is what Paul calls future glory. Despite all these negative words in Romans chapter 8, in this same 10 verses, we see this constant reference that points us ahead to something better. Verse 18, the glory that will be revealed. Verse 19, Creation waits in eager expectation. Verse 20 to 21, in hope that creation will be liberated, that is set free from its bondage. Verse 24, in this hope we were saved. And verse 25, we wait 
patiently. And so this passage has these two things going on at the same time, this constant reference to the present sufferings, but this constant look ahead to remind us of a future glory of what is to come. And I think this passage is such a vital part of understanding the gospel. And it's so important for those of us particularly who are experiencing at this point a time of struggle in our bodies or in the, uh, in the lives of someone that we love. And I'm wondering, is that Mike doing the crackly thing? Shall I swap it over? What do you reckon? I think I will. Is it a bit? Yeah. So, okay, there's three questions I want to explore uh, in this message. First is, uh, is there hope in suffering? Secondly, uh, is, is suffering meaningless? Now, do I need to pause? And thirdly, where is God? Where is God in this time of struggle? So I'm going to go over to this one. Oh, my voice sounds deeper. Groaning as in the pains of childbirth. This isn't talking just about uh, sort of on a micro level of just something that happens in one person's life but someone misses out on or about persecution that causes a suffering. He's talking here about something that's happened that has affected the whole of creation. So it's never just that one of us is suffering and one of us is not. Actually, all of us are going through, and I've said this before, uh, from about the age of 25, uh, science and biology will tell us, all of us are experiencing a slow decay in our bodies. It's a sad reality, but it's, it's true, and I can, I can, we can visibly see that all around us. Just, yeah, just look at the person next to you, if you don't believe me. Um, <laughs> a scientific viewpoint says, in fact, that the, the whole universe is very slowly experiencing decay. And I'm not a scientist, and I'm not going to go into scientific uh, um, you know, explanations here, but just to try to get some understanding of this I, I just googled on wikipedia the wikipedia page ultimate fate of the universe and it just went into all this stuff that i can't understand but it summarized it in a number of things that there's going to be the big freeze or the big rip or the big crunch or the big bounce okay and i i, I don't know what any of that really means but but basically what i what i determined is that Scientists would say that the, the universe is actually not on the up and up and up, but actually on the, the slow down and down and down. In the end, everything is slowly decaying and deteriorating, and the ultimate outcome for the universe is kind of destruction. And if you're a, some sort of like scientist with, with greater knowledge than me on that, forgive me for my terrible understanding but we know we see that at a scientific level we just see that at a biological level where we know everything ultimately decays whether plant animal or person the ending is the same for all living things everything slowly decays and then the bible passage here goes on to sort of make that point then it sort of says well what about for us christians do we miss out on this are we are we now that we've believed in jesus escaping this reality well, I think we know uh, in our own experience the answer to that question, but also the Bible confirms this. If we read verse 22, it says, uh, we know the whole creation's been groaning, 
But not only that, but we also ourselves, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we await the adoption to sonship. So not only does, uh, does the whole creation struggle, but we Christians, we haven't got the suffering and decay, get out of jail free card in terms of in this life avoiding that. No, we experience that as well. In fact, we groan inwardly for another reason in that we are, we are suffering and struggling, but we've become aware of this future hope. And so while we are suffering and struggling, while we've come to experience God in part, we long for that time when we will know God in full, when we will see Him face to face. And in this time, it's natural that we actually groan and struggle with that uh, tension. Where are we heading to? Well, you've only got to read this passage. It says we're heading to uh, this time when we will be the adoption as children of God. Now, that's a strange thing to say because to some extent we're already children of God, aren't we? We're already children of God, but actually this is talking about a time when there's a, kind of like the full experience of that, the full revelation of that. Uh, adopted as children of God, knowing our Father, seeing Him face to face, and the redemption of our bodies. You've only got to look ahead to Revelation to see this ultimate picture of God's plan. And God's plan is for a new heaven and a new earth, or a renewed heaven, renewed earth, for God not just to save people, but for God to make all things new. And there is a promise that God is going to put an end to all sickness, all suffering, and all decay. It was not God's original plan in creation. And God is redeeming not just us in terms of some spiritual thing where we just pop up into heaven and we just live on a cloud for eternity, but He wants to make all things new. And He wants to redeem us and He wants to redeem our physical bodies and Uh, He wants to adopt us as children of God. So as good as this world is, as good as this world is, there's something better. And this world's pretty good. I mean, it's got its problems, but this world is pretty good, isn't it? I mean, there are times when I just... uh, Two weeks ago, we went for a walk as a family. We're walking the Bandicoot Trail. And last week, we did uh, Mount Lofty. And it's beautiful. You know, you're walking around. The sun is shining. Everything's green. You're walking past waterfalls. You can look around and you go, this creation is beautiful. Well, uh, I don't know whoever said this, but the saying would be true. You ain't seen nothing yet. When it comes to eternity, you ain't seen nothing yet. What you are seeing is a creation that's decaying. But we have got a promise of an eternity that is not decaying, that is perfect. And that is what we wait for. You know, when Paul thought about this tension of suffering in the body and future glory, Paul had a perspective that I think is so different than ours. I mean, we just, we just love and want to hang on to life as much as possible. And I understand that, and to some extent that's natural and, a good, natural and a good thing. But when Paul thought about this future glory and present suffering, he said this, he said, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us a glory, an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Therefore, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is 
temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. But how much in our lives do we fix our eyes, do we fix our eyes on what is unseen? And how much do we fix our eyes on what is eternal? And how much do we fix our eyes and set our hearts and minds and attention in what is seen and temporary? Isn't that the, that's the trouble, isn't it? We get, this is our world. This is what we can see and feel and touch. It's our daily reality. It's what tomorrow morning you wake up and you've got to go to work and deal with. It's what is before you every moment. Physical reality, present situation. And so we get caught in this world. And so we're given this gospel to remind us that in the midst of present sufferings and present reality, there is a future glory that should be shaping our perspective of as followers of Jesus. It should be giving us hope in our suffering. There are so many stories I could share with you about those who have just demonstrated to me incredible hope in the midst of suffering and struggle in this world. I could share many, many stories. But I want to share with you, I'll just share one with you, which is a story of uh, a lady called Karen who was part of the first church where I was a pastor, Marion Church of Christ. She was an amazing woman. She contracted, um, or contracted, she was diagnosed with cancer um, uh, before I started as a pastor at the church, before we were at the church. Uh, she had two young preschool children. And I, I saw, because I was a new pastor at that church and I wasn't closely connected, but I saw from afar the way she fought a cancer battle with incredible hope for something that was beyond this life. They prayed for healing, uh, but God chose not to heal Karen in this life. They kept worshipping God. They kept loving people. They kept their faith in God through a difficult battle. There was one point where uh, the way they just chose to fight this battle was just an incredible testimony to faith in God. At one point, they, um, they decided they'd have a big party because she was really struggling. And she'd lost her hair at this time. And it was a time when Angry Anderson's song, Bound for Glory, was in the charts. You know that chart? You know that song? So they threw a big party and she came out dressed as Angry Anderson singing Bound for Glory. And they kept fighting and she kept fighting. In the end, she lost her battle. Her body lost the battle. But her spirit won a victory. Her spirit won a victory. People, naturally, we mourned her passing. But we also knew that for her, there was a crown of righteousness. There was the future glory that had become her new reality. While we grieved, she was with Jesus. And this is the story for all who pass, knowing the Saviour. At her funeral, as the casket was taking, taken from the church, something happened that has been the only funeral I've seen this happen. The person leading the service felt that it wasn't right that we just stood there in silence. They said, it would just seem appropriate that we just actually applaud as the casket is removed. And as it went out of the church, the whole church started applauding, just loudly applauding. It was just this incredible 
celebration of an incredible life, but in the knowledge that death had been swallowed up in victory. That for those of us who have faith in Jesus, by the grace of God, because of the gospel of God, it is not a defeat and it is not the end. There is a victory beyond this life. There is an eternal perspective and we so easily lose that reality and get caught. And that is why we are preaching Romans. It is why we are declaring this truth of the gospel. And the desire is that God would let it transform not only just this kind of some uh, uh, kind of concept in our mind, but it actually would cut to our heart and therefore change how we live day to day. Amen? That we should have real hope. Verse 24 says, For in this hope we were saved. In this hope we were saved. And it is a hope that we hold on to. It's not seen for, for this, uh, but the hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not see, for we, what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. We wait for it patiently. This is the hope we have. Paul went on to say in, an, in another passage, Philippian ones, this is incredible. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then he sort of wrestles with what he's wanting because he's dealing with all this persecution and difficulty. He goes, well, if I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. But what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is which is better by far, but it's more necessary that I remain in the body. I mean, here's a guy and he's traveling around and he's just doing ministry and he's suffering all this persecution and he's wrestling with, you know, gee, what would be better? He goes, you know what? I'd actually rather just, I'm pretty bit sick of all this suffering and persecution. I mean, it's good for the church. It's good for the kingdom. But you know what? I'd be actually quite happy just to go and be with Jesus. And he says, well, no, no, uh, it's, ne it's more necessary that I continue in this work and remain in the body. For me, this passage is the secret to joy in suffering. It is the secret to joy beyond pay pain. It's the secret to joy in the midst of frustration. It's the secret to joy despite physical decay and joy in all circumstances. Otherwise, we should be bitter and angry when we see suffering. And I would say, hey, we should, we should, you know, if there was no future glory, then, then we should have good reason to be angry with God. But we don't because God's plan is an eternal plan and an eternal perspective. Let's go back to the start. Uh, verse 18. Verse 18. Uh, I, cons I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The question I have for you is this. Can you, in the midst of whatever it is that you are struggling with or have experienced or will experience, can you, can we just go back to verse 18, Liam? Can we make that statement for ourselves? Can, we, can, you, can you put that in your own words? I consider that my present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in me. If you can say that in, with good 
you know, genuinely meaning that, then I think you've captured the gospel. I think you've captured the gospel. Okay, let me briefly cover off two other points. Secondly, is suffering meaningless? Is suffering meaningless? Who is the cause of all this suffering that we experience? Well, it's a tricky answer to that question. Verse 19 says this, it says, For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Uh, And then it says, For creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. It says here, why did this just happen? Did did creation just kind of do it by its own choice or just by chance or by some sort of, uh, you know, because that's what the way science is? The answer is no. It says the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. Who was the ones who subjected it? Was it Satan? No, it wasn't. It was God. God is the one who subjected it, not by its own choice, by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation will be, itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and born into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Now, this tracks us right back to Genesis chapter 3, and the fall, and the consequences of the fall, which were declared by who? God. God declared the consequences of the fall. This is the consequences, and Adam and Eve were removed from the garden. By whom? By God. And we entered this world where there was hardship, and struggle, and pain. And this was done by God. Now, people would say, why does God allow suffering? Why does God will it? That just seems wrong. Why? And, that, and obviously, why is the question people ask in suffering? Why me? Why now? Why this? Why does, why does God allow this? And I've got to say that at the personal level, there are so many questions about suffering that I don't have the answers to. This is, you know, why me? Why not this person? Why this? Why now? I don't even, I I can't even start to think about the answers to those questions. And frankly, I've discovered when most people ask that question, and they do ask that question, they're actually, to give them some sort of theological answer is probably the last thing they need. What people need in that situation is love and care and compassion and the promise and reminder that God is with them, and a prayer. But that doesn't mean, just because there's not answers to the, at the personal level, doesn't mean there's no answers at all. So I want to give you some understanding of, from Romans 8 about this. And as an example, I, I think it's probably best to say, let's look at the Israelites. It seems like a strange picture, but I'll, I'll get there. You know, the Israelites were exiled from their homeland. The Israel, Israelites were exiled from their homeland. Adam and Eve were sent out of the garden, which was where the creation was meant to be. The Israelites sort of were in their promised land, in relationship with God, and yet they were exiled to Babylon. And when they were in Babylon, most of the Israelites, or, or some of them, just wept and longed to return. The, the song, they sang songs of lament. By the river we sat and wept and remembered Zion. 
And they said stuff like, how can we sing the songs of the Lord while we, were in, while we are in a foreign land? But others uh, began to settle in that land and they became comfortable in that place. They, it became their new home. They, they, they sort of forgot about God and they forgot about their land and they forgot about all that had gone before and they just kind of settled down and made their new home and they adopted the ways and the gods of Babylon. Now, suffering uh, is for us a wake-up call. It actually reminds us that this land is not our home, that this world is not how it's meant to be, that this is not it. This is like the Israelites in Babylon. You see, what happens is it's never harder to reach someone with the gospel than when they are healthy and wealthy and comfortable and successful. Because health and wealth and success breeds a sense of, I'm going fine, I don't need anything, I don't need anyone, I don't need God, I'm, I'm going great. It's actually in crisis and difficulty and pain uh, that is when we get woken up to the reality we have a need for God. I think it was C.S. Lewis who said, pain is God's megaphone. And God has a greater desire in us than just that we are healthy, wealthy and wise. His greater desire is that we are turning our hearts and our minds to our need for Him and putting our trust in Him. And so suffering comes along and it causes us to cry out to God and we go, this world is not right, this, this world is not, is not how it's meant to be, this world is not, it's not enough, it's not what we, you know, there's got to be something better. And it makes us, it reminds us of our frailty, how many times we, we go to a, a funeral and we're reminded of the reality that life is short. And when we, we, when we kind of get away from that, we, we almost forget. And in Australia, our life expectancy is so great and our health outcomes are so, so good. And we've got anti-aging cream and we've got advanced hair. Not, I'm not, not me, myself personally. but um, And all of that can kind of delay and, and, and blind us or we sort of fool ourselves and we just think like we're going to live forever but then we're reminded that we're not. There's got to be something more. There's got to be something better. This world can't be it. And pain is God's megaphone that points us in the direction of our need for Him. And that is, that is why uh, in verse 19 we read, or verse 20, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be one day liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Last point, where is God right now? And we just get this last few verses that are just, I think, just such a beautiful little picture that I want to finish with. And it says this, um, let me find it. It says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. Where is God? 
when we are struggling and suffering and when we don't know what to say and we don't know what to pray and we don't know what to think and we just don't have the answers. And the answer is God has put his spirit in us and God is indwelling in us. And I, I think this passage is, is actually linked to the, these last few verses are linked to the whole passage because it says, you know, the spirit groans, we groan, but then the spirit, when we kind of run out of words and we don't know what to say, Actually, the Spirit comes and intercedes and groans for us. What a picture. And some of us have been there and some of us probably are there. I don't know what to pray. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to think. I don't know what to do. And in that moment, Scripture says that the indwelling Spirit living in us, God in us, actually begins to intercede for us. And the Spirit prays with words that are beyond our words, and groans that are even deeper than our own groans. The Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. So let me finish by just reminding you of this wonderful truth. It's kind of what I started with in prayer. God is with you, whatever you are going through. And God is for you in all circumstances and God's greatest desire is not that you end up healthy, wealthy and wise for this, what in, what in God's time frame and God's agenda is this tiny window which we call our lives. You know that, you know, a hundred years is a moment for God in the span of his eternity. And God's perspective is eternal and he wants us to have a glimpse of that eternal perspective a lifetime is but a passing moment this morning i encourage you to lift up your eyes in the midst of sufferings and pain and frustration to know the future glory that awaits you because of the gospel god's amazing grace without that bitterness and anger and pain will be your will be in your heart like Yeah, so just yesterday um, was uh, the anniversary of uh, the passing of Mel's dad, my father-in-law. And he was, a, he was a Lutheran pastor. He pastored for 30 or 40 years, gave up his life as a farmer, sold his farm to his brother, came down to Adelaide, studied ministry with four small children, ministered for 30 years, took two churches through building programs and all the stress and worry and trouble of doing that process, preached the gospel faithfully week in, week out, dealt with difficult people, copped grief for stupid reasons at times, cared for people with chronic issues and all that stuff. And just when he was about to retire, in his retirement year, when he's got all these plans to finally travel and do all this sort of stuff, he gets diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's. And he slowly deteriorates. And he, his mind goes completely. And he passes away in his, I think, mid-70s. Yesterday, we remember that. Now, without the gospel, that is just, you know, that is just like, that's enough to abandon faith. 
2 Corinthians says, Now I know in part, then I will know in full, just as I'm fully known. Now I see God like through a mirror dimly. See, this opaque picture. But then I will see face to face. So we know and we live in hope that whatever we see and know of God now is just like a, an opaque understanding and an opaque picture. But we will see face to face. For those we love who have passed, who have known the Lord by the grace of God, they see face to face. That is our hope. Amen. We can get the band up. Let me pray. Father, let us be shaped not by the ways of the world, the patterns of the world, or the perspective of the world, but by your eternal perspective. Thank you that we have the first fruits of the Spirit. Thank you that Jesus is also the first fruits, his resurrection being a picture for us, an assurance for us of what is to come that you have the power to take those who are dead and raise them not just to life but to new and eternal life. And thank you that we do that not through works but by the awesome and amazing grace of God. We pray in Jesus' name. These and all things. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app. 